Hello and welcome to another episode of the Punt Return Podcast, the first episode of 2021. I'm Josh Wyatt and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Nick Splitter. Nick, how you doing, mate? Evening. Happy New Year. Yes. Happy, uh, Happy New Year to you. What a week it's been. And we, we haven't recorded for a couple of weeks. We've kind of had a bit of a break for over uh, week 16 and 17. But um, yeah, lots, a lot's happened in the world. Yeah, it was good. It was a good time to recharge the batteries, uh, spend some time with, with the loved ones and um, due to COVID not see too many uh, relatives. So I'll take that as a small win um, to, to finish up the year. Um, none of them listen to this, so I'm, I'm all good. Uh, the good thing about COVID this year is there's no, no kind of drunk uncle stories from, from Christmas. Yeah, beautiful. No one, uh, no uh, sort of relative to talk about to the QAnon uh, conspiracy theories and, and uh, sort of Trump uh, class action lawsuits against sports bet and bet fair. Um, so that's always fun. But uh, look, it was good, good to recharge the batteries. And in, in the famous words of, you know, Jim Mora and, you know, turn our attention to playoffs playoffs we just want to win a game i love love that speech used to a colleague of mine used to say that all year long waiting for the nfl playoffs and we're finally here and and obviously before we preview the wild card weekend and we've we've got some juicy sort of action here because me and you are on opposite sides on a lot of games yeah um interesting. we haven't been like that most of the season no so yeah. someone's gonna have a great week uh someone's gonna have a bad week or probably We'll split it right down the middle, um, and but we'll get to that. But firstly, I mean, there's, we normally sort of recap the week that was, but it's been a couple of weeks now, and the last sort of week of weeks of the regular season were exciting, but there's not obviously too many takeaways from them. So, I think the biggest sort of elephant in the room involves your uh, Philadelphia Eagles, mate, and, and a guy called Nate Sudfeld. Yes, it was uh, an interesting turn of events. It's one that that I don't, I mean. Okay, you know, and anyone who's who's listened to this podcast over the, the course of this season and, and you know twenty twenty knows that I'm I'm not a huge fan of Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman and, and the franchise in general at the moment. But you know, I, I don't don't blame that on Doug Peterson at, at all. I mean, the, the reality is that you, you can't stop tanking while there's performance based or, or failure based rewards, um, and so it's a, it's a really interesting discussion to, to have around. How do you feel about teams tanking in, in those circumstances and, and what would you do about it? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And, and I was on sort of another podcast earlier today and to, to plug our show and, and this was a, a big talking point. Um, and thanks to the NRL Boom Rookies for having me on. But they were very passionate anti-tanking fans. And and I, I kind of agree with them in, in, in one aspect that it kind of sort of ruins and puts a dampener on the season. And, you know, if you're a Giants fan and player obviously you're upset but at the same time you know win more than 40 percent of your allotted games for the season um you know and then you can be in the playoffs so like you know i do feel for players because like you know playoff games give you checks and extra incentives and things that help your family and we're not just talking about millionaires there's a lot of sort of fringe you know players that aren't on massive salaries that that does help them you know at this time of the year as well but at the same time like it's 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 the NFL's fault here because you're incentivizing Absolutely. tanking. And I know there's not that much difference between the sixth and the ninth pick, especially when you have a quarterback. Um, so, you know, I don't really blame the Eagles too much. I kind of, the, my biggest gripe with the Eagles is the way they went about it. If you just started Nate Sudfeld, 
say that you're protecting Jalen Hurts because you didn't want him to get injured. Because if he did get an Alex Smith or Teddy Bridgewater-like knee injury here in a meaningless game, then the narrative would be completely different. And everyone would be saying, why didn't you start Nate Sudfeld? They just played him for that entire game. I don't think it's a massive issue at all. And I think the NFL as well should be blamed because of the scheduling. I think the Rams and Cardinals should have been the game on Sunday Night Football because that was pretty much simply a win and an in scenario um, when you weigh it all up at the end of the day. And regard, I mean, on that point, regardless of any of the other games, there's no way that you know, an NFC East rivalry game should have been the, the primetime matchup in week 17 on the final day of the year. Like, it's just, it makes no sense the way that the season panned out for the entire NFC East, but especially the Eagles and, and Washington to a point as well. I mean, you know, it's not like I know that they're in the playoffs, but it's not like they had a phenomenal season at seven and nine. Um, no. So, you know, it's definitely the way I see it is it's definitely an NFL issue. And yeah. I don't have a, I don't think there is a perfect solution to the, to the entire tanking thing because any, any way you look at it with a, a draft system, the way that the NFL has, there's always going to be some reward for failure at, at some level. Um, so it's not perfect, but the obvious answer is to, is to, instead of the straight final placings determining draft position, go to a lottery style like the NBA with positional bands determining how many balls each team gets in the barrel. Um, mm. I think it's a pretty simple system. Uh, it makes sense, and it, it means that you don't have to completely rework the process. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good one. I, I, I really like that. Um, another more out there solution is to have a, a bracket for the losing teams, and then you start to to look at teams. But then you also might have teams that are on the cusp of the playoffs, resting to try and get into the top of the bracket and all that sort of stuff. So you you'd, you'd get things the other way. So I'm not sure, but it could be a solution. And it's a billion-dollar industry, and you know they've got some creative minds there that they could come up with a better solution than, than the current one because it hasn't really been that big of a problem uh, historically, but I think more so over the last sort of five or six years with the way the rookie contracts are and the windows that are available. It's giving teams a competitive edge to tank, even though their roster might be quality, to get that rookie deal quarterback. That's it was, highly touted. It's inevitable. I mean, like... like- like we saw with the NBA, you know, over the last five to ten years, um, the, the more that these leagues and competitions become less of a sport and more of a business for these franchises, you know, so much of their fortunes and success and failure can determine can can be determined by what draft pick they have. So if you have mm. the opportunity to move up in the draft just by losing one game in the last, you know, a meaningless game for you really because you're not playing playoffs, then why wouldn't yep. you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, why wouldn't like the Eagles... Like the players go out to win. The play, no, no player steps out on the field intending to lose a game. But yep. if the franchise can make it as difficult as possible or as unlikely as possible by you know, management decisions, then why wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, the difference between the sixth and the ninth pick I don't think is too much when you look at the NFL draft and the way how random it is. But at the same time, if, you know, in a quarterback-heavy thing, that could be something that the Eagles would be able to, to parlay into into more picks or or, or what have you. But um, an interesting point... For the Eagles, you know, in, in that specific conversation, you talk about the difference between getting a, a Smith or a Chase in terms of the two elite wide receivers or not. Yep. Um, and that's you know the biggest the biggest thing that the Eagles have lacked has been a, a number one elite receiver. Um, so you know yep. that that three that three position drop in the draft can make a, a huge difference. 
Yep. My question for you now is, you're talking about first-round picks. Who's the best first-round pick, first overall pick at quarterback in the NFL right now? <laughs> um, it's a hard one. It actually, When you look at it, you've got Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Andrew Luck, who's retired, Cam Newton, who's injured, Sam Bradford, who's retired, Matthew Stafford, Alex Smith, Eli Manning, Carson Palmer. That's all the way back to 2003. It's not a glamorous list of quarterbacks. I mean, it's, it's not. not a, it's not a, it's not a done deal. It's not. And, and there's never a guarantee. And we've seen a number of, you know, you look at guys like Sam Bradford, who coming out of college was a stud um, and was almost, yep. you know, the, one of the biggest slam dunk picks that we've seen in terms of yep. a quarterback at, at number one. And, and it doesn't pan out that way, but yep. there is some, there is some quality on that list. No doubt. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I guess we'll, we'll see over the next two yeah. three years. I mean, Joe Burrow looked like he was, he's going to be a star um, yeah. for that injury. So that, that was a huge shame you know, in terms of negatives on this season, which there are a lot of them, but that was one of the big ones. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, that pretty much sums up the Sudfeld scandal. And uh, actually, sorry, one last thing, the report that players were furious and wanting to fight with, with Doug Peterson. How do you see that affecting the locker room next season or if at all, or is there a resolution in there, do we know who the players were? Well, there's been a few players come out in the last 24 hours and say that it's not entirely true, that there were some questions raised on the sideline, but there wasn't any altercation or, okay. or kind of any severe interaction like has been reported. But you, you don't know. I mean, it wasn't on TV in terms of the sideline at that moment wasn't on TV, so we didn't see the immediate reaction of the players. But, um, yeah, look, I, I mean, I have massive question marks over the future of, of Doug Peterson at the franchise regardless. But if that's true and, and the players are disenfranchised, then that's just another another cross on the checklist for, for reasons why he shouldn't be there in 2021. Hmm. Yeah, um, and we'll, we'll get to the coaching carousel in a minute. Um, but I guess my biggest takeaway from the last couple of weeks is is free Deshaun Watson um, because... Yeah, he's but more so than ever. And we saw the video after the game of J.J. Watt apologising to Deshaun Watson and saying, you know, we wasted one of your years. And, you know, I think that's, um, I don't know if JJ Watt should be apologizing because they've wasted one of his years as well. I mean, he's in the tail end of his career, obviously, and, and they've had their fair ch- fair chances, you know, share of chances in the past at, at deep playoff runs and things like that with JJ Watt on their roster. But, I mean, it's just crazy that this guy just keeps lifting these teams, the, the Texans had no business being anywhere close to Tennessee Titans in that Week 17 game, and 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 Deshaun Watson did everything humanly possible to win a game, and, and fortunately just their defense just keeps letting them down. Their, their front office keeps letting them down. They've ended up picking the GM that now Jack Easterby, who had apparently no decision in, no say in the decision, they get the guy that Jack Easterby wanted all along, um, and, and Deshaun Watson tweeted out, you know, some things never change. It just... I, I feel like this is the next Matthew Stafford evolving before our very eyes where you have this immense, immense, immense talent. I think he's probably a top five, top three, you could make the case. I mean, Rogers is the MVP, but if you're factoring in age and, and if you put every quarterback in a draft right now, I think, you know, like Mahomes is going one, you know, Justin Herbert's probably going number two, but then I think it's sort of a Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, you know, type of Joe Burrow type of thing coming up next after that. So it's, you know, it's just crazy that this talent is going to be wasted. He, he led the league in 
in in uh, passing yards. He had it in yards per attempt, he, he, top of pretty much nearly every category that that weren't envy, that, that in every category that didn't have the MVP or one of the MVP candidates in front of him. He was there, and it's just a shame. And he's in my division, I, like you know, and I still feel sorry for him. He's he's a freak, and he's he's wonderful to watch, and he is Superman for the Houston Texans. He is Superman. He does everything, and he does everything at an incredibly high level. And I guess you, you mentioned Matt Stafford, and I think it's a good it's a it's a good comparison, except for one thing, in that Matt Stafford never really showed any inkling of wanting to be out of there. And I think for all the mismanagement of the the Lions roster over over Matt Stafford's careers, they always gave him, you know, a, a number one receiver. They always attempted to, to give him some assets to, to, to work with. Um, whereas I don't think you can say that, especially in the last kind of 12 to 24 months in Houston, I don't think you can say that about the Texans and, and Deshaun Watson. You look at their offensive line, you look at their defense, you look at the receiver situation, that they got rid of the best receiver in the league. You know, that pairing of Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins should never have been split. They should never have been separated. Um, and, and they should have built around that rather than splitting it up. So it, it seems like the Texans have been actively working against Deshaun Watson. And now you see, you know, with some of the, the Twitter exchanges that, that you mentioned, potentially an inkling that Deshaun Watson does want to be out of Houston. And, you know, compared and combined with the impact that removing that contract off the, the Texans cap would would make there might be some you know some significant interest from the texan side in, in moving that if it came to it yeah it's it's yeah it could be and i looked at their, their cap this week and because you know mike tenenbaum tweeted out it sort of the opening head coaching positions and we'll get to it in a little bit but you know the, the texans have 15 million over the cap at the moment for next season they've got zero first zero seconds I've got a one third rounder and five picks in the fourth to seventh rounds. And like, it's just an absolute mess for any desirable head coach. And it's just like, it's just a debacle. And the, the, the to solve their cap issues is, is going to have to be either cutting JJ Watt, trading JJ Watt or trading to Sean Watson um, and, or doing a, an array of smaller moves that may involve them removing his best weapon again in Brandon Cooks. That saves them about $12 million. Uh, it's it just seems nuts to me, and it's it's just I've never seen a salary cap and front office mess like this in the NFL in all of my time. Just not covering the NFL, but just being a fan and examining the business side of NFL and salary. I'm like the salary cap aspect of the NFL is something I'm really into. And um, we, you know, when I first did Wooten Why, we had a salary cap guy on every year, and we'd talk about salary cap cuts and things and. I've just never seen a mess like this. It's just, it's just, it's an embarrassment, really. It's, it's astonishing, and it's something that you know you could, you could almost understand if you looked at the Texans and said they're in a position to be a serious contender in the next two years. But you look at the way that their roster is put together right now, especially you know taking out uh, DeAndre Hopkins, they're nowhere near it, and they were yeah. already you know on the on the bubble, you know, coming into this season. They're nowhere near it anymore, and and they're not going to be anytime soon. Yeah, I mean they had a chance to trade Will Fuller too, and now he'll be a free agent. They won't be able to afford him, so they'll get nothing back for him either. I mean they've just yeah. fucked up at every corner. They better chickety check themselves before they wreck themselves, Cotton. You've got another free player movement. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think we've we've spoken again 
a couple of times throughout the, the season, but Alan Robinson has proved time and time again that he can be a stud in this league. He's he's already close to elite if he's not elite already. But you put him in a situation with a good quarterback and, and a good play caller, this guy could be a top three, you know, receiver in, in the NFL. And and I can't wait to see him to see where he ends up next season. I'd love to see him at, at somewhere like the Lions or the Falcons if if Stafford and Ryan are still there at the Colts with Rivers or really if they improve that situation at all. Selfishly, I'd love him at the Eagles, but who knows what, what's going to be you know, in Philadelphia next season. The Texans, I'd feel really sorry for him if he ended up at Houston. I don't see how that would be possible without them cutting a whole lot. But, uh, you know, you put, put Alan Robinson with Deshaun Watson all of a sudden, that's that's really interesting to watch for or at the Chargers. And you know, they've got some cap space. They've got you know, one of, if not the best young quarterback in, in the league. So that could be entertaining to watch as well. Yeah, I, I love that spot. The Chargers and Justin Herbert seems like a match made in heaven for me. Um, and that would be just the biggest upgrade for what Alan Robertson had through his career. Oh, like just going from Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky to, to Justin Herbert. I mean, that would be, that would be, he, he would be a top, a top five fantasy wide receiver, I think next year. But yeah, I mean, his, his off season is going to be fascinating really. Um, but very keen, like, yeah, one of the most underrated receivers in the game still just because of his quarterback situation. Um, all right, my last takeaway is my final, you know, ain't it list for the year. Um, big fan of calling people. Yeah, a lot of ain't it. Yeah, you know, this person ain't it. This coach ain't it. And look, obviously, there's some people that's clearly obvious they ain't it. Um, I'm just talking fringe guys, people that maybe people think might be good, but I'm telling you, they ain't it. Um, I've been wrong on ain't it's before. Famously, Josh Allen is one of them. Um, and I apologize to Josh Allen back in week five and he's about to end my cult season. So, I mean, he gets some sweet, sweet revenge. Um, so here's my final aim it for the, for, uh, the season. So these are coaches and, and quarterbacks that aim it and their respective teams probably need to look elsewhere, I think, going forward. So we've got Drew Locke. He ain't it. Cliff Kingsbury. He ain't it. Daniel Jones. Ain't it. Jason Garrett. He ain't it. Mitch Trubisky. He ain't it. Matt Nagy, he ain't it. John Gruden and Derek Carr. This is a, a little side note. One one of these guys has got to go. Um, I just don't think that marriage is, is working. Uh, Jack Easterby, he ain't it. Carson Wentz, he ain't it. Jimmy Garoppolo, he ain't it. Taysom Hill, he ain't it. Did you so, see, see what happens when Carson Wentz ends up at the Colts next season? To I'm already over that narrative. I'm, I'm very much already over that narrative. I'd rather Phil Rivers come back for another year than go through uh, Carson Wentz. Sorry, mate, but he ain't it. So. We'll have to really disagree on that one. Yeah. Is that, is that the only one or pretty fair, the rest? I think it's mainly fair. You know you know that I've, I've said that I've been a fan of Drew Locke you know, over the journey. Yeah, I'm still undecided. I'm back to being undecided. I'm not sure that he ain't it, but I'm, I'm not sure that he is it anymore. Um, Cliff Kingsbury... I like what he does on offense. I think he needs help in other areas. The rest, yeah, I find it really hard to disagree with him. I'm not Mona Lisa Vito of the football world. Let's, uh, let's talk one last takeaway from the, the back end of the season. This will probably marriage up to our, uh, our kind of end of season segment called Just Spin Baby, um, which is a look at the coaching carousel. Um, 
yeah, I thought that was a pretty good pun. Uh, I don't know. Um, sure, I, sure. I also kind of want to go on a carousel now, to be honest. You've had better, but uh, uh, yeah. you've had worse. Yeah, I've had a lot worse. Um, but yeah, this this quarterback class, like it, when you look at it, it's pretty stacked. I mean, there's potentially four going in the top 10, potentially five in the top 15. Um, it's going to create quite the qu- quarterback carousel or at least look like it'll create good type of off-season of, of uh, a lot of what ifs and hypotheticals when you look at, you know, potentially some good veterans finding new homes. I mean, Jacksonville and the Jets are like, not even the Jets are, are quite locks to take a quarterback, but you'd start, you'd be stunned if they don't. Um, but you could call them locks to take quarterbacks, but you could see Atlanta, Detroit, Carolina, Denver, San Francisco, and New England all eyeing off quarterbacks in the top 15. Um, so, you know, I haven't even mentioned Miami as a, as a sneaky outside chance as well. Um, that's that's a lot of teams eyeing off quarterbacks, and there's a lot of veteran quarterbacks in there, and in particular, sort of Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford, um, Sam Darnold, and uh, yeah, Cam Newton all come to mind. Or Cam Newton's a free agent anyway, but it's a lot of veteran quarterbacks that uh, are going to be in the market and potentially finding new homes. Is there any quarterback to team movement that you could potentially get around? Um, oh, look, I, I think any any of those veterans to uh, to the Colts, as I've said almost every week this season, um, it w- would be an upgrade. I've said all, all year that I've, I've loved Phil Rivers as a, as a quarterback over his career. Um, I'm not sure that he's, uh, you know, he's clearly not in the prime of his career anymore. And I think that the, the Colts can probably do better from that out, out of that position moving forward. Whether they, whether they want to do that or not is going to be really interesting. But there's going to be a whole lot of talent available to them if they want to make a move. Uh, Rivers has a one-year contract, so you know, he's out. He's, he's a free agent as well at the end of the season. So there's rumours he's going to retire as well because he wants to go coach uh, high school football. So well, I mean, he's 87, so why not? There's, there's always that option. <laughs> he's, he's he's got 27 kids to look after as well. They're all playing on the, the high school team he's coaching, <laughs> all at quarterback. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, there's there's any number of ways, any number of scenarios that, that can happen through here, and and. You know, the, the couple of weeks leading up to the draft is going to be really interesting as well to see what, what moves are made in that regard because I think there's going to be a number of trading up, trading down um, situations yeah. for, for teams that are looking for a particular player. Definitely. Um, there's two marriages I would like to see. Uh, Stafford to the Colts, selfishly, but... Perfect sense. Perfect sense. Yeah, I just think that's just such a perfect marriage of offensive line talent and defensive talent to help Matthew Stafford. Um, and I think Matt Ryan reuniting with Kyle Shanahan in, in San Francisco makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and then you could see Jimmy Garoppolo potentially return to New England and, and they might eye off some of the cheaper options, you know, as well as you could see Bill Belichick, you know, swinging for the fences on a Sam Darnold or, or a Gardner Minshew and, and using their 60 million that they've got now in cap space to, to reload elsewhere. And, and, you know, they normally bring in a lot of the medium tier free agents after a lot of their players left you know, or opted out with COVID and things. So there's a, there's quite the roster gap. So it's an interesting off-season anyway. And I, I'm, I'm very keen to see uh, who ends up where and, and what what veterans, especially Stafford and, and Ryan, who I still think have a lot to give teams uh, in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, all right. Just spin, baby. It's time. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk coaching carousel. And I talked about Mike Tenenbaum. He put on Twitter, the former... Uh, Jets and Dolphins executive, he put out a little infographic with the six head coaching 
positions, the Jags, Jets, Chargers, Lions, Texans, and Falcons. Of those positions, he, he gave through cap space, draft picks, and, I mean, it's hard not to be chips in for the Jaguars if you're a head coaching candidate with $81 million in cap space, two first-round picks, two seconds, a third. It, you know, it's just a plethora of uh, of options there for, for a future head coach. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to take on that position? The other one is, is the Chargers, as we mentioned before. Um, you know, looking at that infographic, thirty million in cap space plus, you know, first, a second, a third, and, and five in that that fourth to seven range. It's the amount of talent that's already on that roster, and then you look at what you could do with that cap space and, and some draft picks is is incredible. So those are the two that I'd be looking at if if I was, you know, looking at a GM or a head coach's role in the NFL is Jacksonville and, and the Chargers. Yeah, I mean the Jets is nothing to sneeze at as well, but I just feel like there's so much scrutiny and pressure. In New York, that you're not getting in in Jacksonville and and uh, and uh, to a lesser extent LA, just because there's there's never any pressure on the on the charges really. No one expects them to do well. Um, so yeah, I think that the you know the, the Jets are coming off a lower base. I think there's more to work with in a few of those other situations already. So yeah, um, of the of the available head coaches, is there any sort of marriage that you would like to see similar to the? to the quarterbacks and, and that we mentioned before? Um, oh, look, I, I don't know if there's if there's any particular marriages, you know, a particular coach at a particular franchise, but you know, I'd love to see Rob Saylor get a, get a go. I'd love to see Eric Benini get a go. Um, yep. You know, there, there's a number of, of names here that are ready, I think, and have proven themselves ready to step up and, and take on a head coach's role. Uh, I, I would hate to see one of those two guys end up at the Jets just because I think that just ruins the coach straight away. But, um you know, there's enough options out there for, for good coaches and there's enough good coaches out there for, for the options. Yeah, exactly. Of the two, I think Brian Dable going to with Justin Herbert seems just like a, a really good match just given what he's done with Josh Allen. Herbert has a similar arm talent, probably superior arm talent really when you look at it. Um, not as mobile, obviously, but... I think he's ahead, uh, ahead in the curve at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that's a, a match made in heaven and um, I think... You know, Eric Bieniemy with you know a Falcons young quarterback that they draft, or or, or the Jags in terms of Trevor Lawrence would make a lot of sense um, as well, or, or even the Texans. I feel like I know it's a mess, but you you, you get Eric Bieniemy with with Deshaun Watson, and, and maybe there's a chance in hell for this for this Texans offense because they can just make sweet sweet music together. But yeah, that's about it, really. The, uh, what do you think of the Urban Meyer to Jacksonville rooms? Yeah, I don't mind that. Um, it's, it'd be good to get a bit more new people. I know he's been in the coaching circuit for ages and it's been college and everything, but I'm sick of the same old names popping up. Like, do we really want to see Raheem Morris and Todd Bowles go around again? Yeah, I guess. Or, or even Jason Garrett, for fuck's sake. Like, what are the Chargers doing there? Like, going, imagine going from, from Anthony Lynn to Jason Garrett. Like, there'd be nothing more tilting as a, as a Chargers fan than going through that. Like, that's just seems crazy to me, but. Um, I wouldn't mind Urban Meyer with, with with the Jags. I feel like that'd be pretty fun and at least entertaining. Um, from the outside looking in, that'd be in our division. So you know, a bit of spice. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. It's an interesting one. It's an issue. I look at and like you, you look at that that list of of guys and you, you think of guys that have been there and and done that. And then you look at the the new crop and and with some of those franchises, you think why wouldn't you go with a young guy and give them the opportunity? Um, yeah. yeah, you look at some of the guys that, that you put on this list here, 
Jim Caldwell and Marvin Lewis and, and guys like that, Todd Bowles and, and Jason Garrett, why why would you bother? You know what you're going to get out of those guys. Why why wouldn't you take a chance on on one of these young rising guns? Exactly. I mean, it's worked out for a few teams. Obviously, it doesn't always work out, but I know. I just don't know. I feel like you feel good as sort of about Dable and, and the enemy. I mean, the writing's on the wall. I think Salah to Lyon seems inevitable um, just because their defense has just been so bad for years. It feels like they just really want to fix that, even if it means their offense sticks. <laughs> it just seems to be the, the, the <laughs> just seems like a Lions thing to do. But yeah, it's, yeah, I, I always enjoy watching this go around and, and we can predict until the cows come home, but there's always, people coming out of nowhere and, you know, Matt LaFleur to the Packers, for example, a few years back was something that sort of surprised few and that worked out. And he was nowhere near sort of the top candidate on many, many lists, but that was a, an example of taking a younger guy that has some upside. One of the things that is kind of the, the unknown is that these, these franchises that are looking for head coaches, some still without general managers as well, and how much impact that has on the hiring process and whether they want to get a, a GM in place first or whether they want to bring in a, a head coach first and then, then a, a, a GM that's going to build a roster around that coach. Like mm. the owner has their own philosophy of, of how this should be done. Yeah, and it's hard. Like you don't want to rush to hire a GM so that you can rush to hire a coach. Like I feel like you need to take your time. But if you take too long getting a GM, then you might miss your, your top five guys for coach. Uh, so, I mean, you got to get the timing right. So, you know, it's hard this time of year. Look at the franchise that have done it well. You look at the Colts and compare them to the, the Texans or even to the Eagles yeah. at this point. Um, you know, who would you rather be? I always find it funny as well when you have teams that make the playoffs the year before and their coordinators like on every hiring list and then when they don't make the playoffs the year after, like no one's suddenly interested in them. Like no one was interested in Matt Eberfuss last year um, and now they're all interested again. Uh, I feel like like he's done the same job. He's just got better players now. Like, like just seems seems nuts to me. But anyway. Quickly sum up the season for our results here. Uh, for the regular season, it wasn't our best season, but it wasn't our worst season. Um, this is just weeks one to fifteen, so we missed out two weeks to to improve our record a little bit or make it worse. Um, but locks, we went seven seven six and one on the season uh, for our locks of the week. So small small edge in front there. My season, I was flying, absolutely flying the first. Oh, I think eight eight nine weeks, and then I went zero and nine across three weeks on just an Arctic freeze, and uh, thankfully recovered down the stretch and, and finished well in week fifteen, going three and zero. So twenty five nineteen and one for my best bets each and every week at fifty five point five percent on the season. So I'll take that. It's not quite our record yet because you were you were unreal in twenty nineteen. You finished fifty seven percent in twenty nineteen, and you and you had a long shot run for the ages. So um yeah 2019 of nick slitter will be will be sort of podcast uh okay. history really yeah it's just in the hall of fame really because it was just a phenomenal season it was and it's, it's always hard to follow that up again and, and yeah look it, it was a it was a poor it was a poor season for me but i you know it's something that we've kind of spoken about a, a few times this is one of those out of the box seasons where nothing nothing went right nothing went according to plan really for any punters and and the fact that you're in the in the positive, let alone you know at 55, nearly 56 percent, is is incredible. And and you're right, you were. I think you had a, a nine and zip streak before you went 0 and nine um, yep. over the course of six weeks. It was just a, it was amazing to watch. But you know, I don't I don't think there are too many punters that would be you know massively 
massively in profit in this NFL season. It's just been just been an incredibly weird, bizarre betting season for the NFL. Yeah, I did. I didn't go nine and zip, but I had the first seven weeks of the season. I didn't have a losing record. So I went two and one, two and one, three and zero, oh, and then two zero and one with a push. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a, it was a very good start to the week, uh, start to the season, um, with without too much uh, too much sweating, despite going in cold this season more than last season in terms of preparation. So maybe that's the key. I'm not really sure. Uh, look, long shots. We lost about nine units, but it was just a bit of a fun thing that we tried to replicate from your long shot run of last season. So, you know, we weren't betting huge units on those. So I think no. like at the end of the day, we lost a case of beer each or something. Um, and that's fine because it was a bit of fun. Um, and we were sweating. That Austin Eckler $9 shot in week 15 would have uh, put us probably right back in it, but uh, just fell agonizingly short. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Onwards and upwards, 2021 is a new year, and, we're, and we'll kickstart with some playoff action. And it's a it's a great round of of football, wildcard round, and it's, it's some really stellar matchups here. So let's get straight into it. Uh, the wildcard round: Kansas City and Green Bay are the only teams to have a buy in the new playoff format. Kansas City around three dollars thirty, three fifty, three pretty much three to four dollars, depending where you shop for the Super Bowl and other Super Bowl favorites. Green Bay at five twenty five to five fifty. 50 for their Super Bowl, Super Bowl price. So if you're not confident in any of these teams playing this weekend, they're the prices for those two. And I think the Stats Insider model likes one of those. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting that the only the only team that the model has value on for the Super Bowl at this point is is the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have not been valued all year. And the Chiefs are never valued uh, with the model. And I think whether it's because they're not playing this week or just the way that the market's been set, Coming into the playoffs, uh, the Chiefs are the only value futures bet on the Super Bowl at the moment. There we go. So shop around, find your best price. Chiefs, if you agree with the Stats Insider model, but let's get kick started and, and uh, we'll start with, with my team, the Indianapolis Colts. They travel to Buffalo. Buffalo are six and a half point favorites at home. Indy $3.50 on the money line. Buffalo $1.35. The total is 51 and the Super Bowl odds for both these two teams, Indianapolis at $41, Buffalo at $6. The Colts having, if they win this game, then we'll have to travel to Kansas City um, just to make the championship game have to beat Buffalo and Kansas City on the road. So $41 seems like the worst price in the world for the Super Bowl. Um, you could maybe add another zero in between there. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that price and we talk about value in those futures markets. The, the Stats Insider model in this case has the Colts a 1.7% chance to win the Super Bowl, which equates to about $60. There you go. So it's, uh, that 41 seems very short. Yep. Um, I'm taking Buffalo minus six and a half here. Um, bet with your head, not your heart. And there's no hotter team in the NFL right now than the Bills. They're going to the playoffs as a number one team in weighted DVOA. And since week 10, the Bills are fifth in EPA per play on offense, sixth in EPA per play on defense. Allen is third in EPA plus completion percentage above expectation. So in all the advanced analytics, they're just the top five or six teams in pretty much every facet of the game. And they're third overall when you weigh up EPA per play on both offense and defense behind the Packers and uh, it's the Bucks, surprisingly, up there as well. But, yeah, it's just they're so hot right now, the Bills. And, look, this Colts season has been tremendously fun. 
and the rise of their young defense has been exciting. But to, to have their season end at the hands of Josh Allen, who had to publicly apologize too early this year, that won't be as much fun. Moment. You talk about yeah. podcast law. That was one of the most incredible things that, that yep. we've done on this podcast over, over the journey. Yeah, unfortunately, he's going to deal the death kneel to, to the Colts. But look, the Colts defense, look, they're 10th in weighted DVOA defense, and they've, but they've been pretty leaky of late, and that's why I'm worried here, and that's why I'm taking the Bills because they've allowed four of their past five opposing quarterbacks to throw for at least 315 yards. Um, so they're going to have to sort of tap into their early season form and, and to have any success in slowing this Bills offense down. Hopefully they can tap into that Packers game where they really put the, put the clamps on the Packers in the second half against Aaron Rodgers. Um, that's the game that they need to sort of tap into to have any chance here. Um, but I think if that, if Cole Beasley is out, I think that's actually a massive advantage for the Colts and that could help them slow the, slow the Bills down because the way the Colts defense is and the way their zone is, um, Beasley has a really great matchup underneath and that's where the Colts kind of leak a lot of their players. That's why the Jags always seem to have success with us because they just play like slot guys underneath. Um, in week one, it was like, DJ Shark and, and, and that. And then in, in the last week, LaVisca Chenault had a big game from Mike Glennon. So this is like a major advantage is if Coles Beasley's out because he's having a really good season and he's in sync with, with Josh Allen at the moment. But we'll have to wait and see in that case. But look, the Colts offense have scored at least 24 points in, in eight straight games. And, and the possible key to victory for them, I guess, would be Jonathan Taylor. Buffalo's 17th in rushing defense DVOA, so they need a, a really big bruising game for Taylor to keep the Bills' offense off the field and, and give the Colts a chance. And if they can run the ball really well, it might alleviate their pass-blocking situation because they, they've lost Anthony, Anthony Costanzo and Jared Valdir was like, he's like a fifth string. He was, he was coaching high school football two weeks ago and he's playing left tackle now for the playoffs. Um, you know, because we've lost our second and third string left tackle before we lost Costanzo. And it's just, you know, if we're down late and having to pass, that pass rush situation's just not, not good with Jared Vildier at left tackle. So, and, and Rivers in a, in a cold game with his aging arm, it just doesn't really bode well. And, and even if we go up, I'm not really confident in our ability to close games. We've, we've had leads and we've just been really, really bad. And Frank Reich's been, particularly bad about him he's admitted to that so maybe we can improve but i just can't see it i think the bills win and, and i think they they i think they roll i think they cover the six and a half i'll play it up to seven but i wouldn't go anything higher than that yeah look, it's, it's going to pass for me and i'll tell you why i've, I've got some long shots to, to get to at the end but i'll tell you why it's, it's a pass and the, the bills are rolling like you said they're on six game winning streak they're in the number one spot in the entire nfl in terms of DVOA away weighted to the, the more recent performances Josh Allen and, and the newly minted receiving king, Stefan Diggs, come up against a defense that ranks in the bottom third of the league in, in key passing defense metrics. The 21st in yards per attempt, the 20th in yards per game. They've allowed 53 completions of 20 plus yards, um, which is good for 20, 23rd in, in the NFL. The Colts, they've had a good season. You, you mentioned they've performed admirably, especially against high powered offensive units this, this season. They've got, got important wins over the likes of Green Bay, Tennessee, Houston, and, and Las Vegas. And they've performed really admirably. I've been really impressed with what with what they've done in, in Indianapolis. I've said that all season. The way that, that that franchise and that front office have, have built this roster and built this team is really, really impressive. But Buffalo are red hot at the moment, and, and I think that they get the points here. I'll be in what should be a, a bruising, like you said, a really hard-fought typical playoff game. Uh 
running the ball. I think that the defense is, is at a premium. Uh, I've tipped Buffalo by six, but the line of, of six and a half is just a, a no play for me. But there are some some longer shot markers that I quite like, and and I think Josh Allen. We talked about that that Buffalo offense. Josh Allen to throw four touchdowns and, and a Bills win at at four dollars twenty is worth a little play. Stefan Diggs longest reception, thirty to thirty nine yard band at, at five dollars. Like we said, the, the the Colts have allowed fifty three completions of twenty plus yards. Um, and there's some there's some decent value in some of those player props. Yeah, and I also don't mind the first quarter over. The Colts have kind of been fast starters all season. They're second in the NFL with an average of 10.3 points scored in the first quarter. So um, potentially there's a, an overplay in the first quarter if you're looking for something else. If you're not confident on the main line or total at all, um, that could be a way to go. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at with, with that game. Any final thoughts on that one? No, I, I like the I like the Bills to win. I just think it's it's close, and, and that line is just too too short. Yep. Um, all right, moving on. Next game: LA at Seattle. Seattle minus three and a half here at home. LA two dollars sixty two on the money line, dollar fifty five for Seattle. Totals forty two and a half. Super Bowl odds: LA thirty four dollars, Seattle fifteen dollars. Um, if I am having a bet on any outsider, I, I am looking at probably some of the NFC teams as opposed to the to the AFC teams, just on a futures perspective. Just think the Packers are a bit more vulnerable than, say, the Chiefs. Um, so that's where I'm at there. But what's your thoughts on this one? Um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. The, the Seahawks are in better form. They've gone 6-1 over the last seven games. The Rams just 4-3. They've had good victories over the Bucks, the Patriots, and, and the Cardinals, but... That run punctuated by defeats to the Seahawks and, and non-playoff teams in the, the 49ers and the Jets. The Rams have the best defense in the NFL when weighted to the, the recent performances, led by a superstar in Aaron Donald. 45 tackles on the season, 14 for a loss, 13 and a half sacks. This, this guy is just an absolute stud. This guy could be the best defensive player ever in the history of the NFL. Um, the Rams conceded a, a total of just 296 points, which is the, the best in the, in the NFL eight and a half points per game over the regular season. But having said that, Football Outsiders ranked the Rams' defensive schedule the seventh easiest over the course of of 17 weeks. Russell Wilson leads the sixth most efficient offense, according to DVOA, despite having faced the league's fifth hardest offensive schedule, which holds him in really good stead to face Aaron Donald and and the Rams' defense. These two teams split the the regular season record one and one. The home seed emerged victorious on, on both occasions. The Seahawks... Just a slim four-point differential um, across the, the two games. The Seahawks have also won each of their last ten postseason games in Seattle. Which you know, I'm not I'm not a big believer in trends, but you know, they're up for home games at, in crunch time. So you know that that's something that you, you have to take into into consideration. I'm assuming Jared Goff plays in this game. He hasn't had a fantastic season, but he's the best option they have. And if he's even close to to fit, then he plays. I have this Seattle by three. So I had a small play earlier in the week when the, the Rams line was plus four and a half. With or without Goff, I'm not biting at this lower line, the, the three or the three and a half. So I'm just looking at Seattle options straight up. Seattle money line and Seattle one to 13 at $2.55 are my two plays here. All right. First uh, head-to-head here. Um, I, love the, I love the Rams plus three and a half and I like the Rams money line here. Um, and I'll, I'll preface this, and I think Goff will play. Um, 
Obviously, if you wait around for the absolute confirmation of this, the line will probably move. But I've already taken the Rams plus four here because um, I've got this Seattle minus one and a half with Goff and Seattle minus three with uh, Wolford. Um, I don't have a huge gap in my ratings for these quarterbacks just because I really enjoyed watching Wolford's rushing ability. And I think that adds a little bit of a uncertainty to opposing defenses. So I think that kind of helps the Rams a little bit and, and helps McVay a tiny little bit. So I think it negates a lot of the, the gap there between those two guys. And, and as you said, Goff's not been great this season. Um, but I think I give the Rams a decent chance to cover because, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I feel like he, Wolford was pretty good. So I like, yeah, I just, I think they win. I think they're a better team here. Um, yeah, I really want to see see this Rams defense. You talked about Aaron Donald being the best defensive player ever, and uh, I'm a big advocate of that. Um, I know we're, we're quite young, and a lot of boomers at home are probably going, oh, how dare you? But um, in terms of my lifetime, Aaron Donald is is it, and it's 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 pretty pretty crazy. So the Rams, they finished the season as both the number one defense in yards per play allowed and in weighted DVOA defense. They're unbelievably balanced. Fourth versus the pass, third versus the run. Last week against Kyler Murray, LA's defense allowed just 214 yards, recorded four sacks, returned an interception, 84 yards for a touchdown and scored a safety. And the Rams defense has held the Seahawks to just 20 and 16 points in their two matchups this season and now facing them again after throwing for less than 200 yards in three straight games. The Seattle offense has probably never been worse than it is right now. Um, and I think the 20 to nine Seahawks win a few weeks ago is a little misleading. The Rams had five of the of seven longest drives in the game, but came away with zero points on two of them um, because of Seattle's kind of a little bit of luck in terms of red zone defense there. I think McVay has learned a lot about that one um, from that game. And I think it does sound crazy when you look at this, taking Goff or, or Wolford over Russell Wilson, only laying around a field goal or so at home. Um, when you look at it just on that, Paces like oh Russell Wilson only getting laying three points at home that seems like a like an easy layup um, but I trust McVay enough here to come up with a game plan against Seattle's defense that he's familiar with and had success against um, and I'll, I'll mention something about Wolford because I'm going to talk about Baker Mayfield a little bit later on in terms of playoff debuts um, and how different it is I think I'm not too worried about Wolford in this regard because it was kind of similar circumstances last week because it was a road division game. The winner winner advances against the division rival. I feel like it's very similar circumstances and he's got a lot to play for here in terms of potentially getting himself some more cash and securing a future in the NFL. Whereas Baker Mayfield last week, I know that was a similar game in terms of you have to win to get in, um, but that was against sort of backups and, and things like that. So I do trust Wolford a little bit as crazy as that sounds, but uh yeah, I love the ramps. Yeah, very interesting. I think one of the things that is kind of still an unknown is how teams are going to react to the, the limited or restricted attendance levels at a playoff game. I mean, we're so used to, especially in, in places like Seattle, where that home crowd is ferocious, and what that's going to be like, you know, this week is is it could make a big difference. But you know, if if uh, Seattle win by three, I'll be a very happy happy man with a, a little bit of a middle with the, the Seattle money line and and. Uh, Rams at the plus four and a half that I got early in the week. Yeah, beauty. I think that's uh, that's the way to go. But unfortunately, I think uh, for you, mate, the uh, the Rams are going to win. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. I love it. I love a good little head to head. Let's move on to the the last game of of the Sunday Sunday our time here in Australia slate. 
We've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus eight on the road at Washington, the football team here. Big home dogs here, which normally bode well in the NFL playoffs if you're a big believer in trends. Uh, Philly famously home dogs for many of their Super Bowl winning run there. Uh, Tampa $1.25, Washington four forty, totals 45. Super Bowl odds, Tampa Bay at 11, Washington at 101. Um, I'm going Washington team total here under 19 and a half. So I'm, I'm not touching the line or the total. The only reason I'm not touching the total is it could be the Bucks could score 40 on their own potentially um, if things just fall right. Um, but I just don't see Washington scoring too many points. But look, narrative street all week here is everyone in the world is predicting that a terrific Washington defensive line is going to destroy Tom Brady and, and, and win this game on their own somehow. And, there might be some truth in that. Sure, you know, the defensive line's going to, you know, he's really equipped to to get plenty of pressure, interior pressure on Tom Brady without blitzing. Um, and that's been a proven success against Brady time in, time out. Um, but I don't think the Bucks' offense needed plenty of points to win this game. I think only a touchdown or two to win this game because the Washington offense seems to be stuck in quicksand. Um, and this kind of feels like a lot of, Brady playoff games, early Brady playoff games where he played for the Pats where he only needed 21 points to win games because their defense, you know, won and held their opponents and, and he just has to be a game manager here and and they might need to rely on Brady in other matchups when you're taking on the Packers or, or the Saints where you need to score more points. But in this one, um, I just think their defense is going to win them this game and, and Washington finished the, the, the season ranked 25th in passing yards, 26th in rushing um, and I don't think Antonio Gibson's going to have too too much success against Tampa Bay run defense that allowed a league low 80.6 yards per game and their first in rush defense DVOA um, and the Bucks their fifth in total defensive DVOA. I just cannot see a scenario here where the Washington team scores more than 20 points without a special teams or, or defensive touchdown, and if that's the case, if that's the way I lose, then, then so be it on this play, but... Um, I just can't see it happening too much. And the reason I'm not touching, you know, the line is Washington's defense. They've, they've limited opponents to 20 or fewer points in seven consecutive games. And, and they boast the league's number two passing defense at just 191.8 yards against per game. So there's every bit the chance that Chase Young and co maintain this trend and hold the Bucks under 20 points. But like, there's still a chance the Bucks cover um, by only scoring 20 points. Um, so it's, it's pretty nuts, but yeah, I, I just, I'm not touching this line. It's pretty big. Um, but at the same time, I just don't think Washington have too many points in them. It is worth noting though, that the Bucks are one and five this season against playoff teams. And it is also worth noting that Tampa are 0-4 this season against teams ranked in the top 10 in DVOA defense. Washington are ranked third. And it is also worth noting that Brady against defenses ranked in the top 10 in pressure rate where Washington are ranked ninth. They're two and two on the season and Brady has just seven touchdowns and five interceptions at 7.6 yards per attempt against everyone else. The Bucks and Brady are nine and three. He has 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions and averages eight yards per attempt. So, I mean, against proper defenses, Tom Brady has not been good quarterback this season. So that's why I'm not touching the line, but I just don't trust the Washington offense against the Bucks defense. That's the matchup I like the most. And that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I, I agree with you on a lot of that. And you want to hear an incredible factoid? Tom yeah, Brady's let's go. It's the same length of time as Chase Young's entire life. So <laughs> it's, it's no wonder that Chase Young is excited and looking forward to facing a 43-year-old Brady 
his first postseason appearance. But Brady was the epitome of a top 10 quarterback in 2020. He threw for 4,633 yards, good for, for three in the NFL. It's his fifth highest single season total in, in his 21 year career and 40 touchdowns, which is second in the NFL and Brady's second best total in his career. He ranked ninth in both passer rating and QBR, leading the Bucks to the third, the, the number three DVOA offense in, in 2020. And it's not just the offense that's firing in, in Tampa. The defense finished the regular season with the fourth most sacks of any team while averaging the second most quarterback pressures per game. Shaq Barrett returns off the COVID list for the Bucks, which begs the question, like, like you said, where are the points going to come from for Washington? The football team's defense is elite. We know that they're ranked three, they're ranked third by football outsiders DVOA. Their offense ranks last in the entire NFL, despite the inspiring comeback by Alex Smith at quarterback. Antonio Gibson has been Washington's most exciting and dynamic player on offense. And, and I agree with you in that, that I don't think he's going to get a whole lot of room to move in the run game, but I think that, that he might, because they want to get him involved in the offense, he's their most dynamic player that they're going to try and use him as a receiver out of the backfield to give him some separation, give him some room. Uh, an interesting market to look at is receiving yards for Antonio Gibson. In games started by Alex Smith and in which Antonio Gibson is fully healthy, he averages 17 receiving yards per game with two games over 20 yards. His over and under this week is 12 and a half. Um, so that's an interesting an interesting one where there's a bit of a gap between the, the market and, and the averages. I like your stat, Josh, about the Bucks 1-5 and five record against playoff teams, which in any you know, normal circumstance would be a, a decent indicator about a team's output against high-quality opposition. But are we really counting the 7-9 and nine Washington <laughs> football team as a playoff team here? I mean, I know they're a playoff team. Obviously, they're in the playoffs, but they're not really a playoff team, let's be honest. And <laughs> while that while that defense is fearsome uh, in Washington, the Bucks still own the, the third-ranked offensive line for adjusted sack rate and the fourth-ranked offensive line for total sacks allowed. So there's still no guarantee that, that Washington's going to be able to get to Brady. I have this one bucks by nine. So there's a little lean to, to the Buccaneers at the minus eight. And I really like your Washington team total play. So having thought about that for a, a few minutes now, um, I, I might have a little go at that as well. Um, Mike Evans is, is questionable for the Bucks, So whether he's out or on a pitch count, that probably gives a little bump in terms of value to, to Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown, who's already scored four touchdowns in his last three games. So there's a lean there to, to the Bucks at the minus, but it's not a huge play for me. Yeah, it's interesting. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, the Bucks O line is is elite. Their defense is elite. I just like any any strength that the Washington have. It, it feels like Bucks are kind of equipped to handle it a little bit, um, and and they they won't even need a, a big Tom Brady game to cover here or or to win. Sorry, they don't need to cover. Um, just get out and, and win. Um, it is worth noting as well that uh, now. Uh, the Buccaneers' defense—they're currently ranked seventh, which means now that Tom Brady um, has a top ten defense for the sixteenth time in his career in nineteen seasons. And just for reference, for those playing at home, Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers have a combined five top ten defenses in thirty seasons. I mean, I mean, people want to call Brady the winner over Belichick, but he just joined another uh, top ten defense and, and a highly ranked offensive line. So, I mean, good decision making from from Brady in the off season. Um, all right, let's move on to, I think, probably the game of the round for me, and this is Baltimore minus three at Tennessee. Baltimore dollar fifty seven here as a road favourite. Tennessee two dollars fifty eight. The total is fifty four and a half. Baltimore eleven dollars. Tennessee twenty three dollars for the Super Bowl. 
Uh, a huge revenge factor here from from last season. And uh, I love Baltimore here, minus three. Um, there's some three and a half. So it keeps dipping between three and a half, three. So when I jotted this down, it was three. It could be three and a half at time of recording. Um, I'm going to wait and get the flat three or I've taken the flat three. Um, but the Baltimore Ravens enter the playoffs as probably the second hottest team in the NFL after the, after the Bills. I mean, they've scored fewer than 34 points just once in their past five games, winning all five in the process. Their running game in particular has been on fire. Uh, the Ravens have rushed for more than 150 yards in five straight games, going over 200 in three of those contests, including a whopping 404 yards in week 17. I know it was the Bengals, but still that's pretty fucking impressive. Um, rookie running back J.K. Dobbins has been particularly good with a touchdown in six straight games. You can get him anytime touchdown at $2.25. That's a recommended bet uh, for me this week. Anything over $2 for, for J.K. Dobbins to score a touchdown, especially with a total at 54 and a half. Um, Look, sure, you can look at the Ravens' schedule across you know this five-week stretch and say, well, they've beaten the Bengals, Giants, Jags, Browns, and Cowboys. But only one of those teams are below the 20, 29th-ranked DVOA defense of the Titans, and that's the Jags at 31. So I have absolutely no concerns that the Ravens should be able to score 30, even 40 points here against this dreadful defense. You know, sure, the narrative of this here is the Titans have the Ravens' number, but last year's defense for the Titans was exponentially better than this year's and early in the seasons the Ravens were missing Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams on the defensive line and at third quarter time despite missing those guys Derek Henry only had 44 yards on 18 carries before he exploded late Ravens get those guys back and are far more healthier this time around with some other players back on defense and they're six to eight weeks removed from their COVID issues Look, Tannehill, A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry is deadly a trio there is in the NFL. And, and man, they're exciting. I mean, there was an unbelievable game against the Texans last week. But, like, this is a t- totally different game against the Ravens. It's a totally different defense, totally different offense, totally different coaching staff. It's actually a proper NFL coaching staff that they're playing against here. Um, so I love the Ravens. It's my favorite bet of the week, Baltimore minus three. Um, it's not my lock of the week, but it's it's my best bet of the week. I, I love I love the Ravens in this spot. Another head to head, yeah, head to head already. We've got two. But, I mean, early in the season, we were, we were kind of looking at Baltimore and, and going opposition defenses have worked out Lamar Jackson. You know, he was he was still good. He was above average, but he wasn't the, the dominant force that he was last year when he you know he took home the, the MVP. But Lamar Jackson has been the catalyst for the Ravens' revival. He's posted an, an average passer rating of 110.6 with an 11 to 3 touchdown and interception ratio, in addition to four scores on the ground over the, the five week period to end the regular season, uh, which is, I mean, phenomenal numbers from, from Lamar. Tennessee's Derrick Henry became just the eighth player in, in the single season 2000 rushing yards club. This season, he's amassed 2027 rushing yards, which is good for fifth in NFL history. Rattled home 17 touchdowns on the ground for a, a new career high. Which was last year, which was 16, I think, from, from memory. And fun stat, Derrick Henry had more rushing yards in 2020 than 23 individual different franchises, which is amazing. <laughs> um, and it just goes to show what a, what a beast this guy is. And, you know, for those that want to have a little play on Derrick Henry as offensive player of the year, that's, that's why. Um, and while both rushing defenses sit in the middle of the pack, according to football outsiders rankings, it's in the ratings themselves where we see a big difference between the two with the Ravens ground defense a whopping 9% more efficient than the Titans when defending the run. And you're right in that the, the, ten, the Titans' defense was was better last year. But having said that, the other main difference between the two franchises is that their passing games 
uh, with the passing games, Tennessee ranked fourth, Ryan Tannehill under centre, and, and Baltimore just 17th, an incredible 25.6 percentage points worse off than the Titans. The Titans are, are two ranking spots and, and five percentage points better in 2020 than they were in 2019, according to DVI. So even though the Titans' defence was better last season, the Titans' offence is better this season. And I think that's that's a, a big difference when you look at those guys that you mentioned before, Tannehill, Brown, Derek Henry. These guys are phenomenal and they're hard to stop. The Titans have, have been the Ravens' Achilles heel over the last couple of years. They've been able to exploit the Baltimore defence. Great success, almost like no one else has over the last few years. They've won the last two matchups between the two, including 16-point thrashing in the 2019 divisional round. They've scored 28 points plus in both of those matchups. And so I like Tennessee at the line here and the money line, and I'll have a play on both. I know we're, I know we're not a trends pod, but uh, my, my friend Matthew Bungard on NRL Boom Rookies earlier today said that these two teams, the, the road team has won the last five playoff games between these two teams, dating back to like 2000. Um, not that it's worth anything. He just thought it was funny and interesting. So, um, and he's being like a voodoo in terms of, you know, willing the, the Ravens to, to victory there. So, uh, yeah, that's something to, to look at, even if you uh, don't believe in any of it at all. Um, all right, let's go to, uh, I think, the biggest line of the week, Chicago at New Orleans. New Orleans minus 10 here at home. Chicago's $5 to win the match. New Orleans $1.21. Total is 47 Chicago 101 to win the Super Bowl. New Orleans $8.50. Um, we've had some head-to-heads here, but I think we have a consensus potentially between us here, um, and that will be on the total. Um, and we'll get to that in a sec. But I think the Saints should roll here. The Bears are simply just outmatched on both sides of the ball by just about every metric. Saints are much better. They're number one in DVOA, ranked higher in offense and defense, EPA per play, and the and the defense will shut down the Bears, who aren't any good and are lucky to be here. Much much is made about their late season surge, but those wins came against three awful teams: Houston, Minnesota, and Jacksonville. Um, and when Chicago finally played a, a playoff caliber team, the, in the Packers in week 17, they got whipped by 19 points. And saying all that, I'll never, ever, 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 ever take the Saints as a double digit favorite in the playoffs. They've had some of the worst playoff exits in recent memories. And, and part of it is bad luck. Part of it's bad calls, but they just seem to be just heartbreak and heartache in the, uh, in the NFL playoffs. So, um, I'm, I'm not taking them. I've got too many scars after the seven and a half point favorites lost outright to Minnesota last year. Um, so instead, I'm going to focus on the total. I'm going to take over 47. The last time the full Saints offense took to the field, they put up 52 points as Alvin Kamara rushed for six touchdowns to lead me to fantasy glory in my Empire League. Um, I know the guy I beat in the finals not listening, but fuck you, James, and sucked in. Um, but. Um, <laughs> I'm expecting Kamara to be fresh. I know he's had, I know he's had COVID, but he's had a week off. Um, I think they, I expect them to to put up thirty plus, maybe not fifty two, um, but I expect them to put up thirty plus against a Bears defense that's actually regressing. Um, they're, they're a good under team in the first half of the year and became a really good over team in the second half of the year. They're actually the eighth worst team in the league in opponents points per play across their last three games. Um, they've not been good down the stretch. So I think this play basically comes down to to me thinking the Bears probably have enough points in them, potentially mostly in garbage time, to push this over. Um, 
And if you don't think that, then perhaps Chicago team total under nine and a half might interest you instead. Um, if you want to double down on team totals under and take Chicago and, and, uh, and Washington, that might be the avenue. But I like over 47 here. And uh, I think you agree. Yeah, I do agree. And, and, you know, we're so used to over the last few years seeing the Bears this kind of no offense, dour defense, you know, kind of really tough out kind of team. But it was the, it was the Bears' offense that helped them to win three out of their last four, and, and they've snuck a wild card spot. But even still, they should be no match for the, the number two seed in, in New Orleans. They're one of the best teams in the NFL for a reason. It's because in all facets of the game, all three major facets of the game, they rank in, inside the top ten. Football Outsiders ranked them seventh in offense, second in defense, and fifth in special teams. You know, this, this Saints team barely has a weakness that the Bears are capable of exploiting. Um, I agree with you that the, the 47 point total looks low for the combination of, of the skill set, that the overall skill set in New Orleans and the way that Trubisky has been slinging it in recent weeks. And if you can continue this kind of surprisingly solid form, you know, it's at, at an average 97.8 passer rating over the last six, then maybe they could cause an upset maybe by surprising the Saints and putting up some quick points early and trying to defend the total in the second half. But that's, I mean, that's an extremely tough ask with, with New Orleans ranked inside the league's top three for both pass and run defense, third pass defense and, and second run defense. Um, I do think that this will be Alan Robinson's last game. We touched on Alan Robinson earlier in the show. I think this is his last game for Chicago, so it might be set up for a big one. Not including that final game where he had just two receptions against Green Bay. He's averaged 91.6 yards on 7.4 catches over his last five weeks, well, the previous five weeks before last week, while the Saints have allowed a 75-plus yard receiver in six out of their last eight games. And one of those two without one was that Broncos game where they didn't have a quarterback. So it's not much <laughs> that we can take from that. So there's, there is a market that I like in terms of the, the player props, and that's Robinson over 68.5 receiving yards. Uh, at a dollar ninety, and, and there's a few kind of expanded markets with expanded odds that you can have a play at too. But yeah, I like the over forty seven for, for those reasons. I do lean the Saints at the minus ten, but you're right, it is tough to take a double digit margin. Firstly, in the playoffs, and, and secondly, with the Saints for, for the reasons that you gave earlier. Yep, cool. Um, all right, let's move on to the penultimate game of the weekend, and that is Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh are one, uh, five and a half point favorites at home. Um, $3.15 on the Cleveland money line, $1.41 for Pittsburgh. Total is 47. Super Bowl odds, Cleveland are $51. Pittsburgh are $21. Whew, this is a tough one. Um, it's a rematch from last week, um, but it's a really, really hard to quantify how much of an impact missing your head coach and other staff members to COVID-19 will have on a team. And, and Cleveland will be missing Kevin Stepanski, um, who I think is probably the coach of the year um, just for what he has achieved. Um, so it's hard to really quantify that. We've had it happened once this season and we saw Detroit absolutely fall apart at the hands of Tampa Bay without its coaching staff. But was that potentially inevitable anyways? Who knows? Um, but all I know is that I think it will negatively impact the Browns. And there's also a lot of honor other uncertainty in this game apart from the, the missing Brown staff and, and you're also missing Brown's players in Olivier Vernon and Joel Petonio, two studs on both their lines. Um, we've got Baker Mayfield's first playoff start and he's without Joel Petonio against the fourth rated DVOA, def, DVOA defense and the number one adjusted sack rate in the NFL in the Steelers. And then we have a majority of Pittsburgh's best players coming off its first true bye week. 
of the season after they got fucked around by COVID on both their bye weeks. So um, there's a lot of things to, to look at here. And the Browns only won by two points against the Cleveland, against the Steelers backups last week. So you've got to look at that. And I know it's a totally different game, but I'm just not really sure how many points the Browns are going to have them in, have in them in this spot. Playoff debut on the road without his head coach against a very experienced team and coaching staff that have been there before, know how to play games and know how to win, you know, in January. And I think the only thing stopping me from properly unloading on the Steelers here and making it my second best, you know, bet of the week is I'm just not sure how many points the Steelers have in them as well. If the offense and play calling um, that ran down Indianapolis in the second half of week 16 comes to play, then where Ben had 341 passing yards, three touchdowns and zero interceptions, then Pittsburgh should easily cover this number. But if it's the conservative dink and duck offense that led the Steelers on that 0-3 stretch that was just brutal and their offense was terrible, um, then I think you could see an ugly sort of low-scoring affair here and it's a, a real sort of ugly, typical, you know, AFC North game. But I lean Pittsburgh minus five and a half and I like under 24 points in the first half as well. Yeah, don't mind it. I, I agree with you on a lot of that and disagree on a few things. But, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the outs for, for Cleveland. You know, they're at opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're important. The, the two big ones for the Browns this week are Kevin Stefanski, the rookie head coach, and the longest-tenured Brown, which is Joel Batonio that you mentioned before. Stefanski is, is somewhat of an offensive guru, and he's overseeing the best performance of Baker Mayfield's career since his rookie season. And the Browns' offense has graduated from a, a rank of 20 last season to a top 10 unit this campaign. And that is that is down to Kevin Stefanski. And that's a huge a huge um, out for for the Browns, more than almost any player could be. Uh, you mentioned the, the negative 11-point differential. And with the Browns' well-known defensive frailties, can the Browns put up enough points without Stefanski's play calling to worry TJ Watt and the Steelers' number one ranked defense? That That's the massive question. But the Steelers have issues on defense too, uh, on offense too, right? The, the Pittsburgh ground game is one of the worst in the league. And Big Ben posted just a 94.1 passer rating, which is 19th amongst eligible quarterbacks and, and 60.8 QBR, 22nd amongst quarterbacks, which ranked behind such quarterback luminaries this season, <laughs> such as Gardner Minshew, Mitchell Trubisky and Daniel Jones. So, you know, the offense in, in Pittsburgh is not firing on all cylinders by any means. The Browns beat the Steelers by two points last week. You mentioned that already. The Steelers were missing players. The Browns were missing players and staff. Um, you know, that game finished with a total of 46 points. These these games between these teams in, in the AFC North, like you mentioned, they're always hard fought. I think it's going to be close throughout. I think the Steelers, one, one stat that I saw is the Steelers have won each of their last 17 home games against the Browns. 17 in a row home games against Cleveland. Uh, it goes back a fair way, obviously. But, uh, you know, I think this is going to be close. I think the Steelers are going to win. But I think the Browns keep it tight. So on the Cleveland Browns at plus five and a half and Pittsburgh money line. And I think it's tight. Like you said, I think it's low scoring and, and tough. And the uh, I like the under as well. All right. I like another kind of head-to-head here. Uh, I think that's three, four, potentially. Um, so plenty of head-to-heads. Look at Looking at the Stats Insider model for this week um, and looking at the line, and, and they like Buffalo and Cleveland here. Um, big, big difference here in terms of edge, 13% for Buffalo and Cleveland, which is, seems almost wrong. 
but I'm sure they'll adjust a little bit. And they like the over in Buffalo Indy, over in Seattle, LA, and over in the New Orleans Chicago game. So uh, we're reliant with them on a couple of things there with the model uh, I mean, in the particular. Model. Anyone who's followed the, the stats inside an NFL model knows how good it is and how good it can be. Yep. One thing that it can't, I don't think it, it can quantify is, you know, the out of a head coach is not something yep. that goes into into the way that it works. So that's, that's yeah. interesting to watch and, and see if that fluctuates over the next couple. Yeah. I mean, this line's probably three without all this COVID mess for, for Cleveland with, you know, so I think that's probably about right. Um, when you, when you, when you think about it. Um, so there we are. Um, all right, let's finish up like we always do with, uh, best bets. And, um, obviously we're a little bit different with playoffs. So we're just kind of throwing what we can and we can't, you've mentioned a few long shots, uh, earlier on for the, for this, the, the Bills game. I, I didn't talk about my long shots, but my best bets are Baltimore minus three. I like J.K. Dobbins, anytime touchdown at 225. As I said, anything over $2 I think is good. And I like the Washington team total under 19.5 points. Um, I'd probably back that all the way down to probably 17.5 if if anything, but just keep an eye on and shop around for the best line and price there. Um, and then my long shots, I like the Rams 1-13 to 13 at 3.30. I think this is a bit out there, but the Bucks to win to nil at $31. Um, that's a big price. Um, and JK, yeah, just worth a little nibble. And JK Dobbins, 100 plus rushing yards at $4 um, for me there. Um, and that's pretty much my card for the podcast for, for Wildcard Round. Yeah, not bad. I, I like it. I do love that JK Dobbins anytime touchdown bet. I'm a huge fan of JK Dobbins. And uh, yeah, I think that, I think that he's going to have a very good career. Um, but yeah, my, my three best uh, Seattle Seahawks, 1 to 13. Two dollars fifty-five. Uh, Antonio Gibson for Washington over twelve and a half receiving yards at dollar ninety-five, and Cleveland Pittsburgh under forty-seven. And like you said, I mentioned a couple of long shots earlier um, for that Bills game at the top of the show, um, but I also didn't mind the Pittsburgh money line and under forty-seven double. Okay, that wraps up wild card round of the podcast. Um, as always, you can follow the show on Twitter at Punt Return Pod. You can follow Nick Splitter at Nick Splitter. And you can follow myself at JYNFL and always gamble responsibly.